you just said to me, Pastor, it might be too high. You're not that tall. It's all right. Somebody say, it's all right. Come on, let's bow our heads as we pray. Come on, just grab somebody's hand if they're near. You're going to pray together as one united. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come into your presence and we, we ask you now to have your way in our hearts. We open up our hearts to you right now. We open up our spiritual ears to you. Our physical ears, God, that your word might come into our hearts and fall on good soil, God, that it may come and nurture us, God, that it may come and, and really speak to us, that it may come, God, and be a blessing to us, God, that your word will permeate and cut deep into us, God, that your way shall be had in us, that your will shall be done, Father God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, somebody shout amen. I'm excited, just the mids, I think it's the mids. Bring my mids out. I'm excited this week. I have a big week ahead of me. Amen. My brother-in-law is coming back from Afghanistan. <laughs> Six months, made it safe and sound. And I said to him, I said, what base are you at? He said, I'm at the base where that, that idiot killed those 16 civilians. And so he's been under a lot, of, um, a lot of mortar attacks, a lot of different things going on there. And so he's been going through a lot. But he's coming home. He's already in transition. He should be somewhere in Kuwait right now, then Germany, then stateside. So we're excited, amen? you got to help me out here. Kill the stage. Come on. Small groups this week, starting again. I'm excited. If you don't have a group, I welcome you into my group. Freedom Chasers, I'm with you guys this time again, amen? We're doing our crazy love. Uh, you're going to need a book. If you don't have the book, I have a couple, and Minister Jose has a couple, so mine's are free. His costs money. Talk to me. First, after service, as soon as possible. I'm on a first-come, first-served basis. I have no favorites. Amen? Well, I do, but no, I'm just kidding. All right. I want to talk to you today about a pressing topic, I believe, in the body of Christ. Amen? If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, the 8th chapter. Luke chapter 8. And we're talking today from the parable of the seed and the sower. We're going to be talking about spiritual maturity. Somebody say, I'm pursuing spiritual maturity. And so, this is something I, I have talked about in the past, but I believe this is one of those topics anybody could talk about it. You could talk about it almost every Sunday when it comes to dealing with spiritual maturity. One of the greatest ploys of the enemy is to induce an infantile mindset over the believer concerning the things of God to keep you from growing spiritually, Amen. You know, the devil, contrary to common belief, he does not want you to stop coming to church. I've told you this, but I'll reiterate it for you. The devil does not want you to stop coming to church. He wants you to keep coming to church, but just be ineffective. He doesn't want you to grow. When you're outside of church, you have a, a, a knowledge that you are outside of God's will. But when you come to church and don't listen to the word, you can deceive yourself thinking you're a Christian when you're not. And so he'd rather keep you in church, not living God, but loving God. That makes sense? And so he, that's what he'd rather do. For when something is stolen from you, you know it's stolen. And so there's something missing. So you say, something's missing in my life. I need God. But if he keeps God in the picture, you don't feel like something's missing. And so the plan of the enemy is to keep you as a baby Christian. The word maturity in plain English at its core means to be fully developed. In terms of spiritual maturity, as the Bible describes it in the book of James, it says to lack nothing. 
That's spiritual maturity. To lack nothing concerning the things of Christ. We'll go into that, what exactly that means. To lack nothing. I know many adults past the age of 21, and by American standards, by the time you're 25, there's really no place you can't go. Because they consider you grown. But I know many a 25, 26, 30-year-old who is extremely immature. Ladies, help me here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We all know some very immature people. If you're 35 years old, wrapped up in video games, it's kind of, you know, let your kid play for a minute. It's just, you got to have a, a grown mentality. You have to mature past the things. Paul said, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so I'm 26, I can still play games. 35, I can't. I'm pushing it. I mean, that's why professional athletes quit at 36. I'm just kidding. But you get my point. We all know some immature people. We have to be sure that we are growing in our spirits the same way we would grow in our mentality, in our minds. Five years ago, I would have reacted to a situation much differently than today. Eight years ago, I might have cussed you out. Five years ago, probably cussed you out. Some of you a year ago, you would have cussed me out. But now, you're able to stop and say, you know, God's in me. I'm acting differently. I have to be a standard. I have to be, you know, a real Christian and not react in a way that the world would act. And I have to show the love of God. Amen. I've spoken to you concerning this before, but I believe that this topic must be spoken over and over in the church. In order to get all that God has for you, you have to be all that he created you to be. That just makes sense. In order for you to get everything God has for you, God has X, Y, Z. And if you want X, Y, Z, you have to be A, B, C. Does that make sense? And so you have to live the life that God has for you in order to get what God has for you. Because all the blessings of God are not for baby Christians. They are for the mature believer. I'll say that again. The blessings and the promises of God, all the promises of God are not for baby Christians. For what would a baby Christian, would you give a baby a car for their first birthday? I bought them a 2011 Mercedes. It's his first birthday. I know. That's kind of why sometimes you don't get what you want from God because God knows right now in this phase in your life, you can't handle it. You can't handle that house right now. You might not be able to, men, you might not be able to handle that wife right now. Women, you might not be able to um, handle a husband right now. And you're asking God for these things, but these things aren't in his will for you right now because he knows you're still a baby in him. And so he'll wait till you mature so he knows you're good enough and and mature enough to get the things he has for you that when he gives the things he has for you, you won't ruin them. Amen? You know when someone has a child in their home, if you walk in there and there's like pencil drawings on the wall of stick figures. It's like every apartment that I go into of my cousin Teresa, I love her to death, but little Nene has drawn on every wall. I'm waiting for this new apartment. Like, there's always some kid in some family who has this thing with drawing on the walls. And so the kid can't handle the responsibility of a house key. Here, Nate, you're five, you're three years old. Here's your house key. Here's your house key. God's not going to give you something you can't handle at this level of spiritual maturity. Amen? And so my purpose today is twofold. One, to open your eyes to what maturity looks like scripturally, and two, to equip you with the knowledge and the authority to walk towards a spiritual maturity. How many of you guys want spiritual maturity in your life? I want to be able to receive what God has for me. I truly do. We have to put away all the cliche sayings that are not in the Bible. 
We have to get rid of this emotional Christianity, this when the praises go up, the blessings come down. That's not in the scripture. I'm sorry. That's not. That's a song. Praises go up, all the blessings come. And we think that's scripture. It's not. I'm sorry. Come as you are. Not in the Bible. So sorry to break it to you. All these, all these cliches, God is good all the time and all the time. Yes, he is, but not if you're living in sin. I'm so sorry to tell you. God's sin is, God is good all the time. Yes, to the believers, the Bible says. And so it's not to knock nobody, but if we have this emotional view of God, and God is a spirit, we can't come to God emotionally. I've always wondered this. In the New Testament, when the spirit of God hit, people got smarter. The apostle Peter, he was just a, a regular man, just a layman, so to speak. He began preaching, and 8,000 people got saved in six days. That's power from the Holy Spirit. Nowadays, when the Spirit hits the church, we dance uncontrollably and slap people when we go. I've been at a couple of churches where I've gotten hit, you know, just people dancing in the Spirit. And just, you got me. What are you doing? But they're mature in their spirit in their own eyes. But the Bible, in the Bible, when the Spirit came over people, they gained control. They didn't lose it. Mm. Ooh. I had a friend of mine tell me that somebody fell out in the Spirit. They were slain in the Spirit. And I believe it can happen, yes. But this young gentleman happened to fall. His head hit a bench in the church. And he was like, cut open, had to get stitches. That's not God. Oh, but the Spirit was moving in the church. But the dude got stitches. Could you imagine that story? You go to the hospital. Who did this to you, God? <laughs> Could you imagine that? We don't think about this kind of stuff, but it's very true. The Bible, they gain the things. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about how there's a demon spirit that will come into you that will make you dance uncontrollably. Ooh. We don't, we don't look at this kind of stuff. And so spiritual maturity has to deal with how you act before the Lord. Amen. Having the right place before the Lord. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4. How'd you get that? Jesus did it to me. He gave me 12 stitches last Sunday. Can imagine that Facebook post? I was so blessed by God today. I got 12 stitches. You know? I thank the Lord for that. I'm just kidding. Let me stop. If it's true, it's true. I'm just, you thought it, I said it. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, I'm starting in verse 4, and I'm reading from the NIV version. And it says this concerning Jesus. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Many of you might recognize this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on a rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants out. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than it was sown. When he, Jesus, said this, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Amen. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand. But this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. 
so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy. They hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell amongst the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And somebody listen to this, and they do not. They who? The other three grounds. They do not mature. What does he mean? The plants do not grow up into be actual real plants. They do not mature. But the seed on the good soil, now he's speaking of what does mature, stands for those with a noble good heart who hear the word, retain the word, and persevere, producing a crop. So Jesus describes four believers within the body of Christ, four types of believers, four grounds of the heart, as I'll put them today. So he talks about the four grounds of the heart. Jesus' disciples asked him for the meaning of this, and he deciphered to them the story by telling them four grounds of the heart. The word, the first thing we need to realize, the word is the seed of God. If I were to reread that scripture, uh, starting from verse 4, or rather 5, I would say, a pastor went out to preach the word. As he preached the word, some of the word fell along the path in some believers, and some of the word fell upon the rocky believers, and some of the word fell upon the thorny believers. And so the story is about God's word being spoken to man. Amen? Amen. We got the way. So God's word is being spoken to men, and he describes four grounds of the path, and, and uh, rather of the heart, and the first one being the path. The word that falls on the path is just as powerful as the seed, the word, that falls on the good soil. The difference is the place it falls in. And so you have to decipher today, are you the path, the rocky ground, the thorny ground, the good soil, or are you all four at different times of the week? Schizophrenic Christians, but whatever. The issue here is not the word of God, for I can read the word of God to you, and it's powerful all by itself. The problem is the condition of the climate the ground is in. So the problem is not what I'm preaching. The problem is the people who are receiving it, and all they've been doing throughout the week dictates how they receive the word on Sunday morning. Speaking of the ground, the path, these believers, they believe in God, they hear the word of God, but as soon as they leave church, they've forgotten what they've heard. Whether a, situa a situation arises which makes them erupt in anger, or simply that they love God but are not willing to change, they ignore the word of God that was spoken to them in their lives. The path represents Christians who won't change their lives, keep living in sin, but refuse to realize they need change. Satan steals every ounce of the word of God that is in them as quickly as he can in order to stop them from really changing once and for all. Because Satan knows the word of God knows how to do nothing but grow. And so notice none of the seed, the sower, the farmer scattered didn't grow. It all grew in every climate for the word of God can grow in even the hardest of hearts. But the difference was what happened to the plant as it grew. And so the first one, the birds used it for food. The second one, the rocks, they had no root. The third one, the thorns, it grew, but it was choked out. And the fourth one produced a crop. These believers who are representing the path, 
who lose the word of God as quickly as possible. The reason why is because Satan understands these are usually the people with the most potential in Christ. And he will do anything to keep one ounce of the word of God from living inside of them. He has them wrapped up with the most bondage. He binds them with the heaviest burdens. He puts them through the most complex and perplexing thought processes. They are struggling with depression, oppression, anxiety, and worry. And, and they reject God's word because they're glorifying their own ways and don't realize in the end they're worshiping self rather than worshiping God. And the created gets worshiped rather than the creator. Because along the path, we come first. If we're on the path, if, we, if you represent the ground of the path, you come first before God. How you feel comes before the Lord. Realize something. They're in a position to receive the word, which means they're in church. The Bible doesn't say they didn't receive the word. It said the seed fell on the path. You're receiving the word maybe if you're here under the sound of my voice and you represent the path today, but yet you don't allow the word to permeate your heart. They have the ability to love God, but not live God. This ability is constantly stolen from them through lies of the enemy. And no matter how much God does for them, God can heal somebody in their family. God can work in their finances. God can do everything. Many times God will bless you, not because you're worth it, but because he wants to show you that even the blessing is not what you need. What you need in the end is him. Maybe you ask God for a better job and then you would serve him. He gave you a better job. You didn't serve him. He knew you wouldn't serve him. The reason he gave you the job was to show you the job isn't giving you happiness. And in the end, happiness is dictated only by one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. The joy of the Lord is my strength, he said. Amen. And so these people who live along the path, they always live on the outskirts of Christianity, never maturing in Christ because they like how Sunday makes them feel, but don't like how it tells them to live. Amen. The thing about today is not to beat you up, but to get you to realize what kind of ground you are for the word of God. They say they love God, but they don't live God. They're in church, but they're in love with their sin. They're here in the flesh, but in their hearts. They're with their past. You're getting this today. That's just the path. The point is to find out who you are today. The rocky ground is the next one. The rocky ground of the Christians who always have a rocky relationship with God. Jesus described these individuals as people with no root in Christ. These are the individuals who come to God and receive the word. As he said, they receive it happily. These believers love God, they love church, and shout the pastor down while he's preaching good, but in the end, they have no root in Christ Jesus, and sin is still at their core. There's no allegiance to God in them. They hear the word and do learn the word, but they don't change because they won't allow God's word to root in their lives because the roots of bitterness, sin, and anger are deeper than the roots of God. Anybody here with me today? Nobody wants to shout me down when I'm preaching good now? <laughs> They love hearing a good sermon and love having church, but simply don't know how to be the church. Oh, come on. I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm setting you free. We don't know how to be the church. When tough times come, they turn on God like a wild animal turns on its captives. And every time a storm comes in our life, God doesn't love me. I'm not going to go to church for the next three months. Oh, that's not you, right? Because you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Whew. 
When things aren't going great, they have the job they want. They have the car they want. But if God makes one thing, rather lets one thing go wrong, it's like my whole life sucks. My whole life, this is the story of my life, I've always gone through hardships. I mean, come on, you have a beautiful place to live in. You have a car. You're making 45000 dollars a year. Your life is not that bad. There's some people in Africa who live on less than a dollar a day. I think that you should be grateful for what you have. God doesn't do what we want. We're quick to change our tone, and we fall into our old ways, and we abandon the ways of God, all because they weren't rooted in God. Notice, if you're one of those people, and it's not nothing to be wrong with, the first, the first way to accomplish come over a problem is to realize you have one. And to realize when a, when a tough time comes, do you get mad at God? It's so quick that when something we don't get what we want, we're quick to analyze God, but we never analyze ourselves. Maybe there was a reason God didn't bless you. Maybe you're living in sin. Maybe you have this. Maybe you have that. But you want all the promises of God, but none of the ways of God. It doesn't work like that. When things are going great, they love God. Many times, these are the individuals who come to church for a spouse or a relative. Ooh. They don't love God. They're coming because they love their wife more than they love God. And their wife goes to church. And if this marriage is going to work, you're going to come to church with me. And so they'll come, not loving God. Is making sense today? They know God's real. He's shown himself to them. He's blessed them and worked in their life. But in the end, they won't allow God to have a root in their life. They have a rocky life with God, up and down and in and out of church, off and on. But in the end, they're more off and on for God. Do you find yourself being rocky soil? Realize that some days you might be rocky and some days you might be thorny. Some days you might just be the good soil. Other days you might be the path where the word of God leaves you in a second after church and some little kid stepping your toe and you're going sick on this little kid. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anger rises just as quick as faith does. And anger comes and goes. The thorny ground. The thorny ground is a tough place to be in. These believers love God with all their hearts, but their worries, they're, they're, they're actually worriers, and they're called circumstantial worshipers. They pursue careers and money rather than purpose and destiny. Their hopes are so pinned on their schooling and career paths that when it doesn't go their way, they get upset with the Lord. We're so motivated by careers. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being in pursuit of a career. God gave you the ability to pursue the career. But don't glorify the career or the education above the creator. He gave you the capacity in which to understand what you are studying. These people are the thorny ground, the individuals who are love God. They are rooted in church. The problem is they surrounded themselves with so many things, they're busy. Anybody been busy? Too busy for the Lord? We've all been there. Come on. Many times throughout the week, we are the thorny ground where we are just too busy for God. Don't have time to pray. Don't have time to read the Bible. Don't have time to fellowship. Don't have time for nothing. There's nothing wrong with a pursuit of a career, pursuing education, pursuing relationship. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the core, God has got to be first. If God's not first, then your priorities are messed up. Your foundation is ripped out. These believers love God, but the pursuit of processions, as Jesus described it, is greater than the pursuit of purpose. 
We're, over, we're so overwhelmed with life that eventually God loses his stature as a priority. But yet, because we come to church, we believe we have some access to heaven or salvation. The worries of life consume them, according to Jesus. Trials and tribulations trouble them and derail them. They love God more than they trust God. You just missed that. They love God more than they trust God. We love God with all of our heart, but we don't trust God. What does that look like? I love God with all of my heart. I'll do X, Y, and Z. But when something doesn't happen that I thought should happen, now I don't trust God's plan and I got to make something happen on my own. Rather than wait and realize God has something better than what I thought he could. Even myself, I have been thorny ground many times. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm the good soil, I'm the good soil. Maybe last week I was the rocky soil. Maybe the week before, I might have been the path where I got mad and yelled at somebody because pastors do yell at people. Right, Manny? Jesus described the fourth one. He said the three above it are the ones that do not mature in Christ. But here's the third, fourth one, rather, the good soil. The believer that hears the word of God and puts it into practice. The believers that fight to live every day a life of faith in God. They're not perfect. They have many flaws, but the word of God is in them and constructing them and in them a foundation for Christ. They lead people to Christ, share their faith, but they're excited about what God did in their life. They're believers who have a heart after God, a love for God, a love for God in his church and believe in what God is doing. They go through struggles and tough times, but hang on to God for they know he is the rock and nothing can change that. They produce a harvest for the Lord, and the word of God grows in them. In every sermon they hear, they apply it to their hearts, and they live to see change in what Christ has to offer them. My only question to you today is what do you find yourself being? Are you the rocky ground, the path, the thorny ground, or the good soil? Understand this. Jesus dictated maturity by three things. He gave you three keys to maturity. Hearing the word, retaining the word, persevering with the word. You got that? So he said how you hear the word, how you retain the word, and how you persevere through life with the word. That's the number one process, he says, is to hear the word and retain the word. James 1.22 is a very popular scripture in the church. It says, be ye not just hearers of the word, but be ye Doers of the word, deceiving your own selves. James is kind of in the same vein as Christ is. He says, listen, you hear the word, but you don't do the word. You know it to be true, but you refuse to do what it says. How many of you know that living by the word of God is uncomfortable? Amen? How many of you know that? Sometimes doing the right thing is uncomfortable. Amen? Doing the right thing hurts. If you find $20,000 in a backpack, what are you going to do? Doing the right thing hurts. But after you've given it back, don't worry, because Jesus said, I will send you a comforter, and he is the Holy Spirit. And you're sitting there feeling bad, but the Holy Spirit will say, don't worry, for I have treasures for you in heaven, greater than a backpack full of money. And it might be hard for you to believe that God has something better for you than a backpack full of $20,000. But in reality, it's very true. 
that God has greater things for you. Be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. How do you retain the word of God? When you leave this church today, what do you put in place in your life that you will hold on to the word of God that you're hearing right now? Because that's what we're talking about, retaining the word of God. Everybody know what retaining means? You know how when you get, sometimes you can get sick and you can retain water and you get all bloated? Yes? Everybody know what I'm talking about there? Some folks might have that right now. They're laughing. I got that. <laughs> Somebody laughed too hard. I don't know who it was. You get what I'm saying? How do you retain the word of God? How do you hold it in you? What do you do on a daily basis to hold the word of God? Some people take notes. Amen. Where are my note takers at? And when they pray, they review what we've been talking about all week long in order to stay in the vein that God has put you in. And so some of you sit there saying, amen, amen, no notes taken. You go home struggling all week long, haven't prayed, haven't talked to God, have nothing to fall back on. Because God's giving you this word not for today, but for a lifetime. Not for a moment, not for a reason, but for a season. God has a purpose in speaking to you right now. God, somebody say, God has a purpose for me. And so many times after a Sunday service, situations come that the devil tries to steal the word of God in you by Monday morning. Maybe you got baby daddy drama. Maybe your spouse really upset you. Maybe your fiance, Melvin, upset you. Maybe something happened where she upset you and now you're not even, not even concentrating on the Lord's day. You're just mad now. You're going to go home, sit down, eat ice cream, and watch TV. Because you're upset. Ben and Jerry's. Hagen dazs And I think Ben and Jerry's is the best comfort food in the world. Let the church say amen. I mean, it doesn't leave your breath stinking like spicy Doritos. Somebody say amen there. Maybe someone's been talking about you. Somebody's been gossiping about you. And you want to react to it. Maybe someone's posting something on Facebook about you. Maybe somebody's throwing indirect comments at you. Maybe somebody is just treating you mean. Maybe you have a financial situation in your life that got your blood boiling. Maybe right now you can barely concentrate because you've been fighting with, with your spouse at home. Maybe you can't even concentrate because you've been fighting with your grandkids, fighting with your children, just fighting with people at home, and you're coming from a hostile environment, and you don't know how to handle the peace of God right now. Because you realize when you go back home, it's going to be fighting all over again. Somebody say amen. I wish you would be honest. Your life is not that great. Your life is not that perfect. You're struggling. Let me tell you something. If a Christian tells me their life is great, they're not serving God. If you've never met the devil on the road of life, it's probably because you're headed in the same direction. I'll leave it alone. I'll go to my next point. I just, just, I'll just. So many times, by the time you drive off the parking lot, you're smacking your kids in the back. Say, yeah. Where are you at running around the church like that? You ran on the altar. God's going to strike you next time. It's just, that's holy ground. And just. Isn't that how it is so many times? Sister so-and-so didn't say hi to me. I'm not coming back to the church. That's how it happens, and the devil tries anything he can to steal the word. Understand right now what I'm saying to you. The devil does not want you to hear it, let alone receive it, retain it, and put it into practice. Listen to what the apostle says in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm reading from verse 11. Speaking of God, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Meaning he's talking about how he gave them certain abilities. Why did he give them these abilities? Number one, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith 
and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And so he says, I've given Pastor Lewis the gift of gab and the anointing in order that he might give you the word so that you can, somebody say, mature. It does not say that I can keep on giving you milk, <coughs> but give you the meat of the word of God. The milk will keep a baby alive, but when it's time to really have them grow, they have to get food. Amen? And then it says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, meaning having everything in Christ that he wants you to have. Then we will no longer be infants, meaning we won't be immature. We'll be mature. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, they'll be speaking the truth in love and in all things grow up unto him. We will grow up into him who is the head of the, that is, Christ Jesus. For from him the whole body joined and held together by supporting ligaments grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What he's trying to say is you have to grow up in Christ. He's the head of the body. The head is mature. He cannot have a kidney that is immature. The body has to grow together, right? The body has to grow in unity. Sometimes a child's body might grow, but a certain part of their body might not grow, and they have to go through surgeries and things to deal with that. We have to grow in Christ. So what does it mean to grow in Christ, to obtain maturity? Verse 25, jump down if you're reading with me. He says this. This is, this is what a mature life looks like now in Christ, and it's going to get deep in here for a second. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, and speak truthfully, meaning we got to stop being liars. Amen? You can't lie and be mature in Christ. To his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. So it says, be angry, just don't sin. Anger is a necessary emotion. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. It, does, it, it says right there, don't work to be rich. It says work and do something with your hands to give to those in need. A couple amens there. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Here we're getting a little tough here, people. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, meaning fighting, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You want to be mature? Ephesians 4, verse 25 and on. Stop lying. Stop stealing. Stop gossiping. Stop backbiting. The thing is this. We, here's the thing. Serving God does not mean... You have to do so much. I don't, this is what we don't get. Serving God means doing a lot less. <laughs> I don't think you get this. It means stop talking bad. Stop cursing. Some people can't say a sentence without a curse. And so now you're going to talk less and have more air to breathe. Because you're going to stop cursing. Stop letting unwholesome talk, dirty jokes. So now you're in a crowd and you used to crack the dumb jokes. Now you don't have nothing to say. And you're an example as a Christian now because now you can't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. 
Anybody here with me? Does that make sense? Now you have more free time to do things like love people. And you have time now to be free and be happy instead of miserable and depressed and sad. And so coming to Christ means doing a lot less, not a lot more. And we, we think coming to Christ is a burden, but Jesus said my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Why did he say that? Because what he wants you to do is not that bad. It's a lot less than what the devil's asking you to do that you do willingly. Go to the clubs, drinking, smoking, partying, sleeping around. And that stuff, we'll do it willingly, but God says, just don't do that stuff. I'll give you one husband. Isn't that easier to handle than five guys? Or ten women? Isn't that a lot easier? God wants you to do less of everything. Unless you're married. I'll leave it alone. That's God's way. Simplify. God's so easy. You love me, I'll love you. That's God. Seek, you shall find. Knock, the door will be open. Ask, it shall be given. This is simple. The devil got you searching for happiness for the past five years, and all he says is, cast your cares upon me, and I'll give you peace. For Satan, you have to do so much other stuff, but God says, no, 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 no. Just for me, it's so simple, amen? The last thing he said was persevering through hard times with the word of God. It's not easy to persevere. Everybody know that? James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, a very unpopular scripture, and you'll know why off the bat. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. How dumb does he sound? My car broke down. I'm supposed to be happy. My whole paycheck went bills. I'm supposed to be happy. I got a situation at work. People are gossiping about me. I'm supposed to be happy. Yes. God just relieved us of being sad, depressed, full of worry, and anxiety by telling us, consider it joy. Amen? Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work in you that you may be mature. Or as Joyce Meyer would say, mature. Mature and complete in Christ. My goodness. So going through things makes you stronger. You know that old saying, it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger? It's not in the Bible, but we can say that one. It's good. It's true. It'll grow you. If you persevere through it, next time you go through a situation with gossip, you know that, well, I did it last time. I didn't respond to you. I'm not going to respond this time either. And you get better at it. You ever got better at not doing something? Many of us haven't because we still cuss people out. We still act wild. And we still act crazy. We should get good at not doing stuff. We should let go of holding on. It, it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. We should let go of holding on. Because it's what kills us, holding on to our old lives. We ask God why. We complain. We cry. God doesn't love me. Why me? It's getting worse. I'm going through so much. Oh, my goodness. I can't take any more. Facebooking, is that ever going to end? I can't do one more thing. God will rescue me. Put in the Psalms 23, Psalms 19. I'm walking to the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, God, help me. The water is up to my neck. I'm going to drown, Lord. And David has all these. He, he's, he's, he's the author of the blues. And he has it there. And he's just singing song after song of just like. If you read the Bible, the book of Psalms, it's all songs. 
and some of the sad songs he writes. He must have been really depressed. But yet, we have to know the Bible says, consider it pure joy. Man, I'm going through things in my life. You see, I've been telling people in my counseling sessions, and I shared it with the men yesterday, and it's kind of the same thing, that every time a couple argues, they're missing an opportunity to draw closer to each other. Something's happening in the relationship that somebody's upset. There's a hurt, there's a wrong done in the eyes of one of the people, the wife or the husband. And then the husband responds to the wife, not realizing he has to hear her heart and not her mouth, and they begin to fight. That makes sense? And they miss the opportunity to get closer. The husband missed the opportunity to draw closer to his wife's heart. And so it's the same thing when we come to God and we go through a situation, our first reaction is to get upset with God. Not realize, although Satan put the situation in front of you, we're missing an opportunity to draw closer to the Father, to the heart of God. Amen? It seems like craziness to be happy when I go through bad things. But yet God's relieving me of feeling depressed and, and full of worry. There seems to be another scripture that is just way out of reach, really unrealistic. I can't be happy when I'm going through tough times, Pastor. Trials and issues are all out of my control. But when you see something is out of your control, realize it's out of your control. And so worrying about it don't matter. Perplexing about it won't matter. Being depressed about it won't matter. And all you can do is be happy about it because God's going to take care of it and not you. If a situation is out of control... It's out of control. Henceforth, the definition, out of my control. And so I will not be sad about it. Amen? You getting this today? I kind of repeated the same thing in four different ways. But saying the exact same thing for you to realize when something goes wrong, trust God. Amen? Satan's plan is to really worry you and stress you and give you anxiety to the point where you're frazzled. The plan of God is to give you peace that surpasses all understanding. The scripture says that God desires to give you peace that passes understanding. What does that mean? That in the midst of hard times, you're going to have peace and it's going to pass your understanding. You're going to be like, I don't know why I'm not worried that I don't have the right things to take care of this problem. But I do know that God is in control. That was worth more than just saying amen. It's kind of like God is really in control. I don't have to stress over the fact that I might not make ends meet. Give you a second to celebrate? No. It's all right. Perseverance breeds maturity in Christ. Push through. Perseverance means <clears throat> when things get bad, I don't give up on God. I don't blame God. I don't point the finger at God but that I chase after God. Somebody say, I got to persevere. People who persevere when things get tough don't quit on God. That's immature. When you're angry, don't start sinning because that's immature. When you don't get what you want, don't be angry at God because you're living in sin. That's immature. Anybody there? Instead, look at your life. Find out what's wrong. That's mature. When you fix the problem, then go before the Lord and say, God, I've rectified the situation. I come before you with my request, and now God can honor it. Somebody say that's mature. When things look ugly and people are gossiping about you, don't gossip back. That's immature. Persevere through it and consider it joy. Could you imagine Satan trying to stress you out, and all he gets is a smile out of you? 
I'm talking real joy. Not that fake, I'm okay, it's going to be all right, I'm pretending, but real genuine joy. That we don't throw tantrums or get upset when our finances are tight because that's immature. A tantrum never helps nobody. Don't be angry when you're having trouble at home. Just know that God is putting things in order and godly principles in place of ungodly things. And that causes the upheaval in your life. And just realize if you persevere and trust God, you're being mature. For perseverance breeds maturity. Maturity begins to come in when Christ and all the little sins in your life die. You begin to really live before the Lord. When all your secret sins begin to die and all the stuff that nobody knows you do at home, all that stuff. As I told the men, the real you is always at home. When you go home and the front door is closed, you can act like the real you. You'll curse your kids out, slap them up, not cook them dinner, all types of stuff. You'll watch crazy stuff on TV. You'll sit there and have people who shouldn't be in your house, consume things that shouldn't be in your house. But when you come to church, you smell good. You got that new Victoria's Secret scent. And you smell all good. You got six for 30 at the mall, and you're happy about it. And you were just excited about it. And you men got your new little oils from down there, United Roots and, and Fairfield Avenue and downtown, and you're excited about it. But the real you is home, hurting, dying, unsaved, and you should have brought him to church. I'm talking about really growing up in Christ and having real faith and coming to church and saying, you know what, everything is not okay. I'm going through hell and high water, but yet for some inexplicable reason, I put my faith in God, and that is the bottom line, and I have joy for whatever reason. I have joy. Unspeakable, as, as the Apostle Paul said in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, let us put away the elementary teachings of the foundation of Christ and move on to maturity in him. Tell the neighbor next to you, it's time you move on to maturity in Christ. Moving on to maturity in Christ. It's like, and I'll close with this right here. Moving on to maturity in Christ is being 17 years old and your parents passed away and you have a trust fund set up in your name. And you cannot get it to the time you are 18 years old. That's kind of how maturity in Christ works. Until you mature, you cannot inherit the blessings of God. I just missed that again, but it's all right. You should be more excited about maturity now. When you mature, I almost kicked him. Like, what is he doing up here? <laughs> Didn't see him coming. You can't scare me like that. I grew up in the streets. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he almost got kicked for real, man. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Could you imagine that you're 18 years old? When the clock strikes midnight, you turn 18, and instantly you are half a million dollars richer. Wouldn't that be amazing? Some of you are like, Pastor, it would just be amazing to be 18 again. <laughs> but I'm talking about really, when you mature in Christ, something transitions in your life. And now, instead of talking faith, you can see faith in you. I fool around with Heather all the time, but I tell her her immovable faith in the fact that God can heal her father is what brought that healing forward. Unshakable faith. That's unshakable faith, real faith. Why? She went through the steps, and she's been saved three and a half years now. She's being mature in Christ. I know some people who might have been in church their whole life, and we lack much maturity. Man, we should have faith that can move mountains. 
Jesus said, you do the greater things than I have done. Greater things than I have done. Greater things than I have done, he said. You know, it's funny because we sang this song earlier today. You know, deep cries out the deep. And one of the parts, it says, I'm falling in a deeper water with you, Jesus, basically. I'm going after you. And last night, unknowingly at the men's meeting, I described how coming to God is like you're in a pool. A pool of life, let's say. And this pool of life, there's a shallow end and there's a deep end. On the shallow end, you know you're always safe. Many Christians always play it safe as people. We play it safe. We always just do just enough to get by. Just enough to try and get access into heaven. But I told the men, I don't want to be a man of God that dwells in the shallow end. I'd rather walk over to the deep end and begin to try and swim, knowing that God's going to cover me, knowing that God's going to watch over me, that God's going to take care of me, that God will provide all my needs, that the God who, who I seen deliver my father out of many troubles and tribulations, I, you can ask my brother, there was a time we had not the money to pay for tuition for school. And my father got us in a circle, and he said, God's going to provide. And we sat there and prayed in my living room at 610 Colorado Avenue, two blocks away from where I'm standing right now. And the moment my father said amen, the phone rang, and a man called him and said, Pastor, you may not realize it, but I owe you money, and I'm going to pay you interest. And he paid him more than enough that he needed to pay my tuition. I'm talking, I've seen God provide. Provide. I'm not telling you something I haven't seen. I'm telling you something that I've seen. It's time you got out the shallow end of the pool, church. It's time you started trusting God. It's time you began to mature in Christ. It's time you began to say, I want to be a light for Jesus Christ. I want to be someone who anybody can look at and say, man, they have life in them, joy, and joy unspeakable. And I don't care what I face. I want to look up to the same God they look up to because something is different in them. Something is different in them. I don't know about you, but today I'm walking into deeper waters with Jesus Christ. Come on, stand with me, church. Come on. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know about you. Come on, with every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe this is your first time in a church in a long time. Or maybe you have a great relationship with God. Maybe you're the type of person who's been struggling for some time in your walk with Christ. Struggling in your faith, struggling just to believe Him, struggling in all that you do. But you know the God of all the universe today, it's like the lifeguard sitting on the deep end of the pool and he's saying, come on, come on, come on, come on. You don't have to worry. Don't be afraid. I'll cover you. I'll hold you. I'll catch you. When you feel like you're drowning, I'm going to be there with you. Come on, I'm coming at the deeper waters. Come on, come into the deep end with me. Where you seem like you can't stand. You're not supposed to because I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to hold you up with my strength, with my love, with my peace. I'm going to hold you up. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I feel the Spirit of God trying to speak to our heart today. Come to the deep end with me. Come to the deep end with me. Sinking into deeper water. 
if anybody called not to him in this place today. opportunity today. This song said, I'm walking into deeper waters. If that's you, you're saying, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm walking into deeper waters. I want you to meet me at this altar right now. We can praise God together. We can do it in unity. Get my prayer team up here. Come on. I'm walking into deeper waters. Thank you. Thank you.
come on. We're walking. Right now, we're falling. We're falling. 